There are certain skills, critical skills, that you need, that we all need, not only to get ahead in our lives, but also to ensure a successful path forward for our children and for the survival of our constitutional republic. You're listening to All About Skills, where we discuss the eight critical skills you need to succeed and how CEOs, placement directors, executive recruiters, and career-minded individuals utilize them to propel themselves to a higher level of understanding and achievement. Get ready to learn, master, and excel with your host, Charlie Jett. Thank you, Anne, and welcome to It's All About Skills. This is a series of programs where we discuss the critical skills and their application in the real world. My name is Charlie Jett, and we're coming to you from our studio in beautiful downtown Chicago. I'm an internationally certified coach, and I specialize in career management, skill development, positive intelligence, and career crises. And we have a terrific guest today, and I'm very proud to say that he is a former partner of mine. Fred Wackerly has had a 40-year career in executive search, specializing in chief executive officer, succession, and governance. Now, according to Business Week, Fred was named as one of the nation's top five general management executive search professionals by chief executive officers and high-ranking executives. He's been the recipient of the Gardner Heydrich Award from the Association of Executive Search Consultants for outstanding contributions to the executive search consulting profession. Truly a leader in his profession, Fred retired from search and now spends his time as an artist painting in oils, and his works may be seen on his website, www.wackerly.com, and that's W-A-C-K-E-R-L-E, www.wackerly.com. Go visit the site. I'm proud to say again that Fred is not only a dear friend, but was an incredible partner. So welcome, Fred, to It's All About Skills. Thank you, Charlie. Good to be with you. It's great to be with you too, Fred. And let's start uh, this way. You enjoyed a 40-year career in the executive search profession. Let's go back before you entered that world. Tell us where you grew up, your education, and the dreams you had when you left college about what you wanted to be. Well, Charlie, I, uh, I'm a Chicagoan, born and raised in the north side of Chicago. I, uh, I attended Monmouth College in Monmouth, Illinois, which is a small private liberal arts college. And something that you do not know about. Uh, prior to college, I became a journeyman tool and die maker. Oh, I didn't know that. And I had no intention of going to college. And I worked at that profession for a couple of years after high school, and then, you know, came to realize the importance of a college education and um, um, eventually matriculated to Monmouth College where I got a, a, a liberal arts degree and majored in English and minored in chemistry and uh, was ready to get married in another 12 months after that. And I was scared and wondering what the hell I would turn out like <laughs> at, at the time. You know, this is not a typical approach where, oh, I'm gonna go and get my MBA and then go to work for an investment banking firm and make a pile of money and then get involved in private equity and retire on my yacht. <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> I had no idea uh, what I would do after graduating from college, but obviously I had to uh, launch a profession. And I, at least I knew one thing, Charlie, I knew that it would probably have to be something related to getting results by working with and through people. Mm -hmm. And so I found a very good management training program with Ball Brothers, uh, uh, the company that owned uh, not only Ball Aerospace, but uh, the Ball Brothers mason jar glass manufacturing. And I was a, a production, I was a management trainee for them for a few years. And uh, I aspired to um, uh, human resources. At that time, it was called personnel work. Ball Brothers shut their plant because of a, you know, with a strike with the Glass Bottle Blowers Association. And uh, so I had to find a job. And uh, I, I was able to get a, a job as assistant to the head of human resources at Stuart Warner Corporation in Chicago, where I launched my career in human resources work. Mm -hmm. So after that experience, Fred, what, what eventually drew you to the executive search profession? Well, you know, I've, uh, I've always been curious uh, and uh, uh, interested in new and unique things. One day at Stuart Warner Corporation, I got a call from the president's, the division president's office and he said, uh, we're, we're sending down a, a, someone, our new engineering manager, and we want you to process him, put him on the payroll. So I did that. And then I went to my boss. I said, where the hell did he come from? <laughs> I, thought, I thought we recruited all of the people. And he said, we used a headhunter. I said, what's that? <laughs> and, and he said, that's, a, that's an executive search consultant. And, uh, and I thought I was befuddled, befuddled and I thought, wow, this is really interesting. And so I was having dinner with my college roommate who by then uh, was a, a partner in a small management consulting firm. And two of his partners were, one was from Booz Allen and Hamilton and the other one was an alum from A.T. Kearney. And uh, they were at the dinner and I related that story, this story to them. And the, the one from Kearney said, Oh yeah, they, in fact, Carney is looking for someone to join their staff as an executive search consultant on their consulting staff. And they've just put an ad in the Wall Street Journal. You ought to answer that ad. <laughs> so <laughs> I did. <laughs> it sounds like you did, Fred. <laughs> hey, well, Fred, well, when you entered that profession, obviously you got a job there. What were the essential skills that you thought you would need to become successful in that business? Well, uh, uh, perseverance, uh, understanding of um, organization structure. Uh, I think communication skills are very important. Um, uh, presenting uh a case to a prospective candidate, um, interacting with the client company and defining the specifications, very important. Um, uh, collecting information and analyzing, defining the role. Uh, typically, as you know, you were a man in a management consulting environment. 
typically our assignments came the result as the result of an organization study. And uh, the, the organization study might recommend, well, you need to bring in a new vice president for marketing and sales, or you need a new head of strategic planning, or you need a new division general manager, or you need a general counsel. And by the way, we have an organization within our consultancy that does that for client companies. And that's the way A.T. Carney operated. Mm -hmm. Well, I would, I would say that one other skill is, Charlie, is, is perseverance. You know, the ability to not take no for an answer. Um, and especially in those days, it was the birth of uh, executive search consulting. And people spent 20, 30 years with one company. People, some people were insulted that I would pick up the phone and call them and intimate that I have this career opportunity for you. And uh, I think it would you know, give you an opportunity to enhance your career with my client. They, what the hell are you contacting me for? <laughs> you know, I'm very happy right where I am. Goodbye. <laughs> well, you know, the, the executive search uh, profession is very, very different now, but Tell us a little bit about how the ex an executive search was conducted uh, way back then before the days of the internet and the technological advances they have now. No fax, no internet, no cell phones, no pagers. And uh, it, was, it was heavy research focused. Um, you know, we, in our, in our organization, we had a vast library. We had researchers on our payroll. And uh, uh, so it was a heavy researched uh, 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 approach to identification of potential candidates. Uh, the candidates that we're looking at were in directories. They were in annual reports. They were in proxy statements. They were members of um, organizations, you know, the Association of Manufacturers or whatever. And, uh, and so there was a lot of front end work, grunt work to identifying potential candidates that is just so much easier today. I mean, no LinkedIn. Um, I mean, I remember at, a, at an association of executive search consultants workshop uh, at one time I, I addressed the audience and I said, how many of you, let me see a show of hands. How many of you have fax machines? You know, one or two hands went up. I mean, this was this was the Stone Age, you know, of, of executive search consulting. But um, um, uh, you know, some of the basic uh, work toward to initiating an assignment is still the same. Spending a lot of time with a client, interviewing executives, members of the management team, getting a fix on the specifications for the job, and I ident identifying the key four or five. Um, uh, items that are important to qualifying a candidate for a given position, you know, with a, with a client company. Yeah. And you became over the years, a, an excellent judge of, as one of my, our former colleagues at Booz Allen said, an ex excellent judge of horse flesh. You got, you were, you, you developed a, a, a way to really evaluate whether a person would might be qualified for a search that you were doing. How did that happen anyway, Fred? I mean, you became excellent at that. Well, I'm, you know, it goes back to what I said earlier. I, I mean, I am really 
genuinely interested in people, their motivations, their talents, uh, and their flaws. And, uh, and when I would evaluate a, a potential candidate for a client, I mean, Charlie, I'd spend three, three and a half hours with them, uh, starting, you know, starting with their upbringing and their education and their experience and take them through a number of their, their job experiences and their problem solving, uh, you know, probably, you know, using your critical skills as a matrix. I mean, that, that sort of fits, you know, the way I would assess people and profile them for my particular client situations. And no two client situations are the same. And, you know, even as Gardner Heydrich told me and, and, and was frequently uh, uh, saying, uh, there is no such thing as a perfect candidate. Yep. You know, and, and so identifying that and, and making the fit. And we had an old mentor at AT Kearney and he said, Harvey Stenson, God rest his soul. He said, Freddie, all you have to do is remember two things. Find a terrific executive for our client company. And number two, find a wonderful career opportunity for someone. And if you satisfy those two objectives, you're gonna have a successful placement. And that, that's sort of you know, the, the, my operating method uh, as, as it relates to assessing people for these situations. Boy, I'll tell you, Fred, and boy, and you were really successful in that. And over the years, your executive search practice began to focus toward doing searches for higher level executives, like chief executive officers and executives re who report to them. Now, what about what, what brought about that change of focus uh, for you and that niche? Well, uh, I had an epiphany. I read an article by Michael Porter of the Harvard Business School on differentiation strategy. How do you differentiate yourself in a highly competitive market? And um, I, uh, by, by then I really understood how the search profession operated and how the large search firms operated uh, and still do today. I mean, there are some wonderful, wonderful executive search consulting firms but they have a big problem. What's their big problem? They have, uh, they do a lot of work for a lot of companies and they have what are referred to as client blocks. In other words, if they're working for ABC Corporation and they've done a number of assignments for them, they will not steal an executive from those companies for a period of at least two years. And so uh, I thought, well, now, especially in recruiting senior executives, CEOs or people that report to the CEO, you have to have almost unfettered access to the universe of companies where you can approach people for your client companies. So quite often I'd go into a shootout as, you know, to, uh, and, and I would say, here's a list of 20 companies where I am not blocked. And I said, secondly, uh, I operate a boutique firm. And I'd say, look at me, I'm the one who's doing the search. You're hiring Fred. Yeah. And um, I, I have a researcher, but I don't have any backroom people who are going to do my legwork for me. I mean, Charlie, when I retired after close to 40 years, I had 5 million miles on American Airlines. Oh, you know? so, 
more my, even though I was based in Chicago, uh, most of my work was outside of the Chicago area. It was a national practice, highly focused, highly specialized, differentiated from that of the other firms. In fact, if a client of mine would say, hey, you did a great job, we need a VP of manufacturing or we need a general counsel, I'd recommend other search firms to them. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know. and as you know, also about our Christmas party, Charlie, we, you know, part of our differentiation is we'd have an annual Christmas party, cocktail party in Chicago, where we invited all of our competitors and their researchers. <laughs> and so, you know, I remember. And they remember those guys, they'd sit in the corner looking at each other the first time, like, oh, that guy's my enemy, you know? <laughs> but I think we did a lot of good for the profession in I that regard. So. Charlie, I, a few, uh, a couple of years ago, I sent a, an email to Michael Porter to thank him and to tell him how important that, uh, that uh, essay that he wrote on differentiation strategy was to my life and how it shaped my profession. Wow, and you know, you those parties and your rapport and your interaction with other firms and competitors certainly gained you an awful lot of respect in that profession. And Fred, you were a pioneer uh, from your reaction to what Porter wrote in developing a brand. I mean, you actually just developed a brand. And how would you describe that brand uh, into which you evolved over the executive search consultant? Yeah, that's interesting. It was, you know, you're, you're, uh, there's only one other person who I can think of right now who had a, a similar focus and that was Ram Sharan. You remember Ram Sharan, mm. the, uh, the board uh, consultant? Vaguely. He, op- he operated a one person practice out of a suitcase, mm. but he had a global reputation. I used to always be impressed by Ram's approach. And I thought, well, you know, here it is. Here's Fred. Fred is the brand. Fred is the executive search consultant. Fred is like a heart surgeon, you know, who specializes in opening the chest cavity and uh, transplanting a new heart into your chest cavity. Very <laughs> unique guy, you know, very unique person, uh, very unique personality uh, who is going to come into your life for a period of five or six months and who's going to disappear. And the experience with him is going to be wonderful because you're going to have a new CEO in your corporation. <laughs> I mean, Well, it may sound cavalier, but, but the branding was the person. Yeah. And it was quality, dedication, focus. I'll limit the number of assignments that I work on at any one time. And then I even changed our, our, our fee structure. You know, typically in the industry, you paid a percentage of the salary. And my attitude was, hey, I'm going to help you negotiate a deal. So I don't want any part of my fee related to the percentage of the salary to which you pay to your executive. So I'll look at the degree of difficulty of your your assignment and I'll quote a flat fee and you'll pay me whether I'm successful or not. And that was was unique in that time, as I remember, Fred. That was unique and pioneering. And I think a lot of people have copied that. And you know, one of the things that I remember about you when you were doing a search is you were intensely focused and dedicated to your client but you always seem to be having fun. You always seem to be having fun in doing the recruiting process and you just couldn't wait to get started. And you just, 
you just exuded confidence and pleasure during the process. Yeah. Well, I can't help it. I loved it. I'm a very lucky guy. You know, I discovered something after moving around into a, num a number of uh, different venues, but I discovered something that, frankly, Charlie, I found thrilling. I mean, I was thrilled at this work and I was grateful to be able to do it. And I was, I'm curious, I'm still curious to this day about people and what motivates them. And so getting involved with that on a daily basis was uh, an aphrodisiac. I mean, I just loved it. I love to hop on an airplane, you know, and fly someplace else and sit down with someone for three, three and a half hours and get to know them and uh, to work with the client. And it's just, I'm a very lucky guy. You certainly are, Fred. And, and I remember that enthusiasm that you had very well. Now, you in, in 2008, you published a book called The Right CEO. By the way, it's still available on Amazon. And in that book, you pointed out that the chief executive officer's selection and succession process is notoriously dysfunctional. Now, what did you mean by that? And can you give us some examples? Well, the, you know, there are several people involved in the selection of a CEO. There's your board member. There's your the incumbent CEO who is retiring or very close to that and needs to select his successor. There are internal candidates, wannabes who are interested in maybe being promoted to replace their boss. There are, there's a, the chief human resources officer. Uh, there, there are outside candidates who um, uh, would hunger for this opportunity to be uh, selected to succeed this CEO. And in the middle of that, are egos and you know you find some CEOs are very psychologically healthy um, are very satisfied to ha having had a wonderful career and uh, and want to celebrate that by selecting a, a, a new successor to carry on their legacy and there are others who are afraid to go from who's who to who's he, you know? <laughs> and they're, they're reluctant to give it up. And so, so starting with a, a, a CEO and his buddies who are on the board, chances are half of, half of his board members are close personal friends. Uh, so th this guy is reluctant to retire. In fact, wants to negotiate uh, with the board that once he retires, they're going to furnish him with an office at the corporate headquarters and let him have access to the limo and let him have access to their corporate jet. And man, that's, a, that's the kiss of death. I, I would caution any person coming into a company to not go to work for a company under those circumstances. And quite often I've, I've suggested to, to can, CEO candidates that uh, they get in writing a timeline and a timetable as to when the CEO is going to come off the premises. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be about six months or whatever like that, but after six months, I want them out of there. You know? Then looking at you know, your internal candidates, I mean, quite often corporations have um, uh, horse races where they select two or three people inside and then we'll watch you for a year or so 
and uh, one of you are will be selected as a CEO. That's not good for a corporation. They're going to work against each other. They're going to avoid risk. They're going to, to make bad business decisions because they want to save their butts so that they can, will be selected. Um, then you've got outside candidates who can be misguided, and they they want they want a CEO job so bad that they'll 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 cut a bad deal for themselves, or they'll allow the CEO to stay on in his office down the hall, uh, or they will um, make the decision for what they think is the right reason, but uh, but can harm their longevity. And quite often these people last five, six, 12 months, 15 months, and they're gone. And they're doing another search to replace them. And then you got the poor head of human resources who's sort of in between knowing what's needed and satisfying his or her boss. And so there's room, there's room for dysfunction within this family of personalities. And it's very important for us as search consultants, you know, we just don't go out and fetch somebody to uh, uh, come into a company and let the company make the decision as to whether or not they want to hire them. We're responsible for facilitating this for all parties. Yep. And, you know, over the years, Fred, I, I always observed you with a lot of admiration in the fact that uh, your clients really, really trusted you. They really trusted you to tell them the candid truth uh, about circumstances. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and your ability and your courage to actually tell it like it is. Well, I, that's the way I was brought up, straight talk. Um, uh, you know, I, 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 wonder, I forgot to cite one example. You're familiar, we can talk about it now, but you remember Abbott Laboratories Yes. They had a CEO there who burned through three capable CEO successor candidates. All, every one of those three were, were presidents of Abbott Laboratories. And in the end, they were driven out by the CEO because he just wouldn't fathom that someone could succeed his munificence, you know? Yep. And, uh, and they both, all three of them, went off uh, to wonderful careers elsewhere. Yep. Well, they, you know, and over the years, too, you accumulated an incredible amount of knowledge, and you were not, uh, not reluctant to share that, because during the 1990s, you contributed over 40 articles for Crane's Chicago businesses and business. And those, those articles dealt with a wide variety of issues relating to chief executive officers and top executives. Now, Fred, of the 43 articles or thereabouts, which two or three are the most memorable for you and why? Well, uh, I, I think that uh, I, had, I had an article that was titled Living the Lie. And, and Charlie, you've probably encountered this too when you were involved in search, uh, where we had the counterfeit candidate who lied about his or her education yeah. or work experience. I mean, I wrote that art the article. I'd like look back. I wrote that article in 1996, yeah. and it's still happening today. People falsify their education. Um, they falsify their job titles, um, and. Um, and you know we were responsible for vetting 
our candidates for our clients. And uh, boy, I even remember one where I was, I was doing a search for a general manager and the candidate came uh, to my office uh, after I had presented him and he was one of the finalist candidates. And, and uh, he said, you know, Fred, I, I, uh, I, I've got to withdraw from the search. I said, why is that? And he said, uh, I falsified my education. Hmm. And um, I just, uh, I got married and uh, I had to take a job and I couldn't finish my MBA studies. But people told me, you know, don't worry about it. Say you had an MBA. I mean, you were all, all but finished there anyway. Uh, what's the damage to that? Well, the damage to that is uh, uh, living a lie. Yep. You know, and, um, and I, I thought he had a lot of courage and I admired his uh, straight talk and, and admitting that to me. But uh, I always remember that. And then I, and I also wrote an article, you know, there was a, there was a period where uh, diversity search was very, very popular. And all of our clients wanted us to do a diversity search. We need more people of color within our executive ranks. And I wrote an article that uh, it, was, uh, it was a zero sum game. I mean, what, what benefit is there for me to go out and steal an African-American candidate or a person of color or a woman from a company for you, it hasn't done anything but move the chess pieces on the board. What are you doing about hiring people of color out of business school? Or what are you doing about developing people within your organization for succession in a more diverse environment? And so I always remember that. And uh, I got some feedback uh, about that. So a few other things that uh, uh, I wrote about, one of my favorites was the links will tell the tale. In other <laughs> words, take somebody out and play a round of golf. You know, as you know, Charlie, I like to golf. Oh, you bet. You're good at take, it, too. Take them out, not anymore. Take them out and play four, four hours of golf with them and observe their behavior. How do they react to failure? How do they react to stress? How do they treat other people? How do they treat the caddy? You know, uh, how do they behave uh, uh, throughout the whole process? It's very revealing. And that was one of my favorite articles. Oh, my God. You know, Fred, you mentioned vetting candidates. I, one of the things I always admired about you and uh, tried to use you as a model for, uh, for vetting candidates is that you were very, very thorough in doing references on candidates. I mean, yes. you really, really, uh, your, your clients could really depend upon you to uh, really find out you know, not only the stuff that was written on a resume, but stuff behind that right. on the resume. You talk about talk about references and, and when you were vetting candidates. Well, I had a, a when if you were to become a, a semi-finalist candidate for a search of mine, uh, I'd look you in the eye and I'd say, Charlie, are there any skeletons in your closet? Yeah, I can remember you asking that question a because lot. Because if there are, I'm going to find them. And I want to know them now. If I find out later on, you're through. And I'd see how they behave. You know? and, uh, but then we would go out and um, talk whenever possible. You know, this is highly confidential. Oh, yeah. Um, and so 
um, uh, you know, we would have our own, call it a Rolodex of people. You know, if you work for XYZ Corporation, I might know somebody who uh, worked at XYZ Corporation and coincidentally, they probably worked there at the same time you did. And I might uh, have a conversation with you about this fellow or this woman and um, uh, you'd give me an, a qualified reference um, that wouldn't you know, come from someone who's a friend or someone trying to help you out, et cetera. So we'd have to differentiate um, between, um, you know, you might give me, a, I might ask you for some references and you might give me seven or eight names of people who you worked for, you worked with, who worked for you, et cetera. But, um, I might go deeper than that. And I would uh, uh, find contacts from my library of people who I know, and I would want to talk with them about you. And um, it was just, you know, a labor intensive process that would help me get around you, your personality, your skills and capabilities. You know, what if you, uh, uh, you know, said on your resume that you were responsible for the post acquisition integration of two major acquisitions um, that grew your business by 30%. And, uh, and so I went into executives from those companies that were acquired uh, to find out whether or not that was a true statement. Uh, and and you know, was the preliminary work done by somebody else and you were taking credit for something that someone else achieved. Um, was that kind of a pursuit you know, that we would, we, we would um, um, be involved with, and yeah. then of course, and of course, checking checking uh, uh, college degrees. We always verified college educations, etc. Well, I know you were exceptionally thorough and a model for the industry and so forth. But let, let's get back to these articles that you wrote. Uh, now, you have a collection of these articles uh, and that you shared with me, and the collection uh, is called Then and Now. Yes. And you, you say that you, you, you read about some of the same, you actually read about some of the same topics in today's business press with only the names being different. And I loved your mentioning the old adage, everything old is new again. Yeah. Tell us about a couple of uh, those issues that don't seem to go away. Well, uh, it, Whenever you read in the paper about someone leaving a company for personal reasons, <laughs> you know, I mean that's the tip-off right there. They've either been terminated, you know, uh, or asked to leave. Um, it it. I mean, I'm I, you know we have some some people in business today who are moguls who can't let go um, and uh, who force executives to leave because they are unwilling to accept the fact that the top clock is ticking and it's time to retire or find a new life outside of corporate, corporate life. I mean, Charlie, these things are just so natural. Um, uh, we see them every day when we read the business press. You just pick up the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. Fortune Forbes, whatever, uh, you know, the foibles of 
executive behavior are are there. We're all human. We're all natural. We're all subject to mistakes, um, inf infidelities. Um, you know, uh, stock kiting, excessive compensation. Um, well, Money on boards, um, you name it, it's there. Yeah, like you said, everything old is new. Again, That's right. you've certainly seen that. Now, without beating it too much, uh, look back and reflect on your executive search career. And you mentioned some of the skills you thought you needed. And as you were proceeding through that career, that you needed to become one of the best in the business. And Fred, you were one of the best in the business. So give us the bottom line on those skills that made you successful. What made Fred Wackerly uh, one of the best in the business? What are those skills and how did they serve you so well? Well, I, uh, I, I think I was a pretty good communicator. Um, and um, and uh, I, am, um, I am a risk taker. Uh, I'm curious. And I have a very high work ethic. So the skill of production and the capacity for a large amount of work and a dedication to completion of a task, uh, very important to me. Um, the analysis, uh, the analysis, getting to the, where the, as I would say, the bark meets the tree, you know, oh, I like on, that. on an issue. And, uh, and gaining full understanding, very important. I've always been curious about technology. I mean, we were, you know, we were one of the first to get a fax machine. I, I had the, was one of the first guys to get a pager. <laughs> I, was of, I was one of the first guys to get a, a laptop computer. You know, I, I mean, uh, I just love this stuff. Uh, I just, I mean, I, I, I would love to be in the profession today to have the advantage of all of the technology that is out there. Um, I sure as hell wouldn't have to fly around as much. That's for sure. Well, and, I'll tell you uh, one thing. I'll tell you one thing, Fred. If you were in the business today, you'd be well ahead of the game. And then I think that uh, you know, just being open to uh, uh, um, time compression, being efficient, um, and 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 you know, the wrapper around all of this is straight talk. Yep. In fact, the title of my book is The Right CEO, Straight Talk About Making Tough CEO Selection Decisions. Freddie, I remember uh, when you when I was thinking about writing a couple of the books that, uh, that I've written, and I sought your counsel about that, you told me, use straight talk. And boy, I did. And that really works. That meant <laughs> a lot. And I really thank you for that. Yeah. Well, you're the best, Charlie. Well, hey, uh, you know, one of the things I think, uh, I'm, I'm not sure it's a skill or anything, it's a trait, I suppose, but one of the things that always seemed to, 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 to stick out to me about you was that you're, you were a model of integrity. What you said was what you meant and from your heart. And uh, I've admired you so many years for that, Fred. Thank you, Charlie. It's the way I was brought up. Hey, now, you then... All that search business and your career in the search business came to an end and you made some money and you had a chance to 
go sit on your porch and smoke a cigar or two and play a little golf and you retired from the executive search profession in 2001 but then you added a new chapter of your life and you're not one to let grass grow under your feet so tell us about that new chapter and what it's done for you well i uh you know charlie i always had a a secret goal uh to to I don't like to use the, the word retire. I like the word rewire. I like and, I, and I always thought I'd like to rewire at age 60. And uh, I failed at that. I, I, I think I did it at about age 61 or age 62. But I, 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 I knew one thing that uh, you know, some people can work part-time, half-time, et cetera. And by that time, uh, Clarence and Mel, you know, my remaining partners, mm -hmm. uh, they wanted to continue the firm, but I, I just wanted out. And, um, and so, but, but uh, to discover how to go about that, I took a sabbatical. And I only told my partners, we told no one else, if a client came to me and said, we want you to do a search, Fred, I would say, I'm at capacity. I can't take on anything right now. I'll, I can talk to you in six or eight months. I, and I, I went to Tucson and I wrote my book. And, and I, by then I had taken uh, art classes. Uh, Barbara, my wife, signed us up for some art classes at the, the Art Institute of Chicago and at the Palette and Chisel Academy in Chicago. And I fell in love with uh, oil painting <laughs> and, and, and plein air painting, you know, painting outdoors, et cetera. And so I thought, okay, well, uh, but six months are up. I'm going back in. I'm diving back in. And I dove back in and I worked on two more searches. And then I still remember that uh, uh, the, last, the last search, uh, I, was, uh, I did a search for a, a CEO for Mass Mutual Life Insurance Company. And I, I shook the hands of the, the chairman and I said, well, congratulate me. And he says, well, yeah, you did a great job. I said, no, no. You're my last search. <laughs> it's over. We're done. And uh, then I just started to, uh, uh, I did spend another couple of years uh, advising boards on CEO succession, not doing any searches, mm -hmm. uh, rec you know, working with some of my former clients, actually, who now when the guy I placed, the guy I found for them was getting ready to retire. And now he had to either select someone inside or recruit someone from outside. I advised them, you know, along those lines, but I did no searches. No, no, I avoided the temptation. Uh, fortunately, as you said, you know, my financial advisor also told me that I didn't have to work anymore. So that that was uh, that was very helpful in in making that decision. I got involved. Uh, I was always deeply involved with Monmouth College. And so I had been a trustee of Monmouth College for 30 years. And, uh, and I was able to establish for them uh, the Wackerly Career Center, which is a nuts and bolts uh, career advisory uh, department at the college for, to help these young people develop uh, you know, their, their resumes and to learn how to research career opportunities and how to seek out internships and things of that nature. I also went on the boards of a couple of not-for-profits and, uh, um, uh, and, I, and I got involved with uh, a private equity firm uh, where I was an advisory partner 
to this uh, private equity firm, uh, especially as it related to uh, their need for CEOs for their portfolio companies. I didn't do any searches, but I was there in an, in an advisory way, sat on the boards of a couple of the portfolio companies and, uh, and um, I've retired from that as of about three years ago. Um, it was our old friend, Chuck Kepler, who got me involved with, uh, with them, it was Windpoint Partners, a private equity firm. And then uh, Barbara and I live in a, a senior independent living life care community. And I've joined the board of that. And um, I'm the vice chairman of the board and, and I'm currently leading a strategic planning uh, activity uh, for that act, uh, for that uh, entity and um, having fun. I play golf, but now I can only play nine holes of golf, Charlie. I'm yep. I'm too old and weak, you know, to be able to extend that. Uh, Barbara and I travel a lot. We have uh, two wonderful children, and uh, I'm a very grateful person. Well, Fred, you've been a a a very successful person a model of anyone who might consider being in the executive search profession. And I must tell you again, <clears throat> it was an, it's a great honor to have been your partner. I feel the same way, Charlie. So our guest today has been Fred Wackerly, one of the best in the business of executive search. And I wanna thank you so much, Fred, for being our guest today on It's All About Skills. Charlie, it's my pleasure, thanks so much. You bet. And as for me, I'm an internationally certified career coach, and I specialize in career management, skill development, career crises, and positive intelligence. And you can get in touch with me through my website, charliejetcoaching.com or podcastpq.com. So I want to thank you all for listening today, and we'll see you next time as we discuss the critical skills on It's All About Skills. Thank you for listening to this episode of All About Skills. To learn more information about the critical skills, be sure to visit itsallaboutskills.com for access to resources like blogs, field studies, published books, and more about how to learn, how to use, and how to teach this important content. That's exclusively available on itsallaboutskills.com. We look forward to having you join us on the next episode so we can continue to help you learn, master, and excel by using critical skills right here on All About Skills.